Hi everyone, and welcome to the Mission Mindset Podcast. If you want to know what it's like to be out there as a foreign missionary, this is the place to go. And our hope in all of this, as you listen to these interviews and you hear the amazing stories of people who live abroad, leading churches, working in churches, as missionaries, and so much more, we pray and we hope that it inspires you. I'm Max Secor. This is Pat Genova. And this is the Mission Mindset Podcast. Let's get it. We're here with John Buckholz. What's uh, up, John? He's, he's, uh, What's he's, up, guys? He leads the church in Italy, uh, in, in Milano, in Milan. Milano. And uh, we'll start just by asking, you know, John, uh, who, you know, who are you? Yes, uh, tell us a little bit about give, yourself. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm a, a humble servant of our Lord, as you guys are. I know Patrick and, and Max a little bit more. I actually baptized Max once upon a time Whoa, uh, that's true. in Boston. Patrick didn't even know that, doesn't even know his co-host. <laughs> but uh, no, I, uh, I grew up in Boston. I grew up in the Boston church. My parents were both, uh, were both met kind of randomly door knocking for my mom at uh, University of Georgia. She was just there for a summer program. And my dad was down at the University of Florida at Gainesville and was waiting for the bus one day and someone reached out to him. And uh, my dad was a little bit more than a, of a heathen than my mom was, but they both uh, became disciples kind of through cold contact evangelism. And have met each other when they were in the campus ministry, when there were hundreds, 800, I don't know, disciples at the University of Florida back in the day. And when they graduated, they moved back up to Boston because that's uh, around Boston, which is where my mom's from, from the New England area. So, so that's where we were born. My brother and I are twin brothers. We were uh, raised together. We have, I have a younger sister named Catherine. She's in, still in the Boston church. And um, yeah, I mean, we grew up in a unique position, I think the Boston church through the, the 90s and then into the 2000s, we saw amazing things, just great growth, great uh, inspiration. I remember growing up watching k videos. Anyone else that grew up in the church is going to remember all those and, uh, and just thinking about uh, the way that God was going to use us. And I really felt that. I had that sense that God was moving among us and was going to do great things. Yeah. And I always kind of had that sense. And I also had this unique position in the region I was in, in Boston. We had, uh, when I was, I don't know, eight, nine years old, uh, the McGurks, um, who are now in Paris, leading the church in Paris, they, uh, they um, had just come back from their first missionary journey uh, in which they were in Paris and then in, in Brussels, Belgium. And wow. they came back to lead the region that I was in. And so that meant they had lots of relationships with lots of European leaders. So when they would come through, they would always come and have them speak. So every few months, we'd have European people come through. And I just found it so inspiring to hear people from the other side of the world speaking a lot of times in their second or third language with accents, but just sharing about uh, their experience on the mission field. And I just always felt like that is like, that's like the cutting edge, you know, like that is, that is like so inspiring to me. Yeah. Like, yeah. because it's, and, and, and the reality is the mission field is anytime we open our zoom call with someone who's not a Christian or we go to work uh, or we, you know, go out our door. But the idea of the foreign mission field was just something else for me. And I, I feel like I grew up with that kind of dream deep embedded inside, just, just kind of having some of that put into my spiritual DNA. So when I was a teen, you know, back then, you know, you, you, your first, uh, your first teen devotional, you go uh, and the teen leader comes up and asks, Hey, you want to study the Bible? And, uh, and I said, yes, not everybody said yes, but I said, yes, <laughs> I, I, I always felt like, 
you know, I wanted to do the right thing. I wanted to serve God. I wanted to, yeah. I wanted, you know, I, I really wanted um, to be a part of this thing that I saw growing up that my parents were part of that, that the, the, the church just seemed like this is, this is amazing. And this is what I, something I want to be a part of. And um, so I studied the Bible and I remember those Bible studies. I remember all of the angst of being in middle school and all that. And I made a decision to become a Christian uh, I was baptized into Christ when I was 13 years old, and I've been a faithful disciple, churchgoer ever since. I've been up and down. I've had really big dips and really big surges in my faith and in my will to to walk with with Jesus. Um, I do consider kind of uh, my experience in campus ministry to be sort of a second conversion of sorts, because as I was a teen, those were some of the most difficult years for our churches, and it wasn't we weren't looking at these glorious, you know, mission field, mission plantings. We were, you know, trying to figure out, I think God was disciplining us and teaching us some things. And I just think we had a lot to work through. And, uh, and so what that meant was my 40 person or so uh, team ministry shrunk down to the last six or eight of us wow. that were still faithful. Wow. And, uh, and that group, we're still really bonded. It's funny. Now we're over here in Europe and, um, a bunch of us, Tom McGurk was in that crew, Frank McDonald, who's over in Prague right, yeah. um, now is in that crew. So we have our group of missionaries here and like half of them were actually like in my teen D group growing up. But, uh, but those were definitely trying times. And uh, when I got to college, I was, you know, I was, my parents would always ask me like, you know, what do you want to do with your life? What do you want to, and I, I didn't really know. Um, I figured I'll go to business school because that seems safe. I'll be able to make some money. I thought like, oh, I'll make money. I'll have a good life. I'll serve the church. I'll help out. And I think like two years into being at, at Babson College, which is where I studied, it's a small business school just outside of Boston. I started looking around me to my left, to my right, and just all my conversations with all my classmates, um, they just seem to center around money. They seem to center around how much money, what company you're going to start, what are you going to do in bi the business world? Even the whole like, party scene was all like, well, it's like net half, half partying, half networking. Cause you know, you never know when you're going to need to know somebody for some venture for everyone's trying to line up jobs already. Oh, and I just God. went like, man, this is it. Like, this is what this is yeah. all about mm -hmm. is, is, is money. Like that, that's like, who wants to, like, nobody's talking about having a family. Like nobody is talking about, right. you know, doing something great for their community. I mean, there definitely were people that cared, but at the same time, I just felt like that, 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 um, that passage in, in Matthew six, where Jesus says like, where your heart, where your treasure is, your heart will also be. It was so clear to me that the worldly treasures were so prevalent in people's hearts. And I just couldn't relate to that anymore. And so I kind of, that's when I felt like I really started to catch a different kind of dream. That's uh, around the time when uh, they started uh, an intern program in Boston. I said, yeah, I'd love to be a campus intern. And I, you know, whatever way I can serve God, the most, whatever, however he can use me the most, that's what I want to do. So that's what I started doing. Um, uh, became a part-time intern. Um, and then I did that for three years. They almost fired me a couple times because I wasn't <laughs> uh, living up to all their expectations of what a campus intern might be. But Glenn and Kevin and many others, they invested in me. They helped me out. They were patient with me. And I felt like the real breakthrough for me in sort of seeing the big picture of God's kingdom and what being a missionary and having a missionary mindset was all about 
was when we went to Berlin, a crew of us, it was about 12, 16 of us, went over to Berlin one summer um, just to help out. They were, they had no campus ministry really going on. And they were like, we need to get something started. So we're just going to get a bunch of crazy people to come over here and just, wow. just share their faith every day. So that's what we started yeah. doing. And, and it was hard. I mean, cause I mean, I remember like conversations with people still to this day, like I was trying to share my, my faith with somebody, <laughs> invite them to a Bible talk. And the dude's reaction is like, you, I asked him, you know, what do you think about God? What do you think about, you know, spirituality, religion? I mean, what are your thoughts? And he goes, well, I think that faith and religion in his like heavy German accent, I think that faith and religion uh, and the Bible and all these things, they're actually responsible for all the violence and all the wars and all the terrible things that are in this world. And because you are talking to me about this right now, I blame you for all of that. You are part of this system and you are just as much to blame wow. as all the other people. And he walked yeah. off. And it was like a huge, you know, those are the kind of conversations that stick with you. The dude just like blame me for, you know, the, thing, yeah. all, 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 all the bad <laughs> things that you can, all the bad press that any group or any, any, anything has come up with. And I just went, man, like, this is tough work. But at the same time, I saw just how, how hard it was, but how worth it it was. You know, if anyone's ever uh, pursued any kind of academic, uh, athletic en en endeavor, but academic as well. And it's not easy. You have to push yourself and you learn by doing that you're capable of more, that, that God is capable of more through you. And I found kind of uh, a new gear for me, just realizing that, wow, like, okay, like this is hard, but, but I can see how God is going to use this and, and what kind of impact, you know, one might have. And that's kind of when it solidified in my mind that, you know, I'm going to serve God a hundred percent, whether I'm in the ministry full-time or not, right. whether I'm whatever role I might have, whatever, wherever God might take me in my life. My life's not in my hands. It's in his hands. He, I'm just a pawn. He can move me around the board, wherever he wants, whatever I'm capable of or whatever he thinks I'm capable of. Like he'll put me in that situation, but I just want to serve a hundred percent. And, uh, and that led me to, uh, to going to the full-time ministry. We served, for, uh, for in the Boston campus for two years, then uh, then we actually um, moved out into youth and family. And part of that move was actually because my wife Rachel, who she actually grew up in that same not in that D group because we split men women D groups, but in the same little team ministry. Um, I was probably introduced to those about six years old. Um, wow. <laughs> we we made the decision together as we got the end, to the end of uh, our our studies, one to be married. And God has blessed us with two kids here on the mission field wow. uh, since we moved. So that's been amazing. And those are other stories, long stories that we can tell or not tell mm. anytime. But the, but she, oh, did you want to? Yeah, I had a, I had a quick question. Sorry, sorry. Hold on. So, and you guys have been, and I don't know if you asked this in the beginning here, but you, you've been in Milan for how long now? Yeah, so we've been in Milan for six years, six and a half years now. We moved in 2014. And we, you know, so we did two years of, of campus ministry. And then the thought was like, well, if you're going to go to Europe, you need to be prepared for more than just campus ministry, because right. there's no campus ministry positions in Europe. Our, there's not a campus ministry right. big enough to have someone come lead right. it full time. So if you want to do campus ministry, you, you got to know how to do all ministry, really. And, uh, and so they figured, you know, we're going to train you to be a, a church leader, not just a, a campus minister. 
And the best way to do that is actually to move over to youth and family because you got to learn how to how to have right. impact with people that are way younger than you, way older than you. You know, it's you, you get the whole gamut of the church there. And yeah. so, I mean, I had the um, immense privilege and honor to be able to train under uh, amazing men at that time. That was Chip Mitchell that uh, that trained me in ministry for youth and family ministry and church leading. Um, and I'm just we were super blessed to grow up in a church like Boston always had a very mission, like mission minded focus. They've yeah. always been sending out churches. The mission has always come first. Um, and they've sent so many churches out, so many leaders out all over the world. And, uh, and so just being in that, they started the, the school of missions, the new England school of missions, right. which now there's school of missions all over the world. But back then I think it was one of the first. And we actually went through that program during our, our ministry time in Boston for most of the time uh, we were there, we were among the first graduates from that program. And they actually ended up shipping out all of the graduates that first year, all four of us to Europe. Steve wow. Schnell went to, went to London. Uh, Kristen McDuffie ended up going to Berlin for a time. And Rachel and I ended up going over to Italy. Um, so we, I remember sitting down having this conversation with Doug Arthur. You know, Doug was the lead evangelist at the time of the Boston church. And he asked us, uh, asked me, hey, can we have breakfast before, you know, this all church service? I was like, yeah, sure. And then I, I was like, wait, Doug has never called me. He's called me to like come play basketball. He's called me to like mm -hmm. help out with the food pantry. He's called me to like, you know, do different staff things. He's never asked me like to come and have a meal with him. Like wow. something's up, you know? So Rachel and I were like, maybe this is our shot. We had always thought we'd probably end up somewhere French speaking. So we had studied French um, and kind of had that in our minds. And Doug comes in and he goes, yeah, you know, the, the, the Salippos who've been over in Milan for the past five years, they actually need to come back. And we're looking for someone to kind of move into their position as the evangelist and women's ministry leader over in Milan, Italy. What do you guys think? Would you be willing to do that? And Rachel and I looked at each other and we're like, well, we need to talk about it. But honestly, you know, when God opens a door, who are we to not walk through it? So we're like, yeah, we'll go. We'll interview. We'll go meet the church, have them meet us. And as soon as we got here and we saw the need and we saw the church, we just went, man, like, how could we say no? Right. So we just felt like um, it was like very God ordained. It was not something we sought out. We didn't have any relationships with the Salippos. We, we didn't try to move any pieces around. It just kind of fell right into our laps. And I'm sure God was doing a lot in, the, in behind the scenes. And there was a lot of people dreaming for us and on our behalf. But from our side, it wasn't something we sought out. Um, we wanted to be missionaries. We kind of waited for God's timing, continued to, to give our hearts fully, continued to ch just be ready when that opportunity presented itself. And then when it did, we jumped at it. So right. that was six and a half years ago. I mean, this COVID year, I feel like counts for five. So I feel like we're kind of at <laughs> right. our 10-year yeah, anniversary. Depending on but, what uh, is, the COVID year either counts as five years or it doesn't count right. at all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. That's what it feels like. That's what it kind of feels like. But I guess yours, 2020 has been many years. Been many odd years all COVID. packed into one. Yeah, exactly. Yes. I did have a, I had a question for you really quick. Cause you're saying like, this is amazing it's, stuff. Yeah, and it's funny, John. I had like a questions that kind of went along with all of these. <laughs> and all, I was going to ask you, oh yeah. So how, you know, how'd you become a Christian? You know, right, stuff. How'd right. you go in the ministry? What inspired you? And you just kind of went out and, and you answered them, which is good. <laughs> which is awesome. And, um, one of my questions is because, you know, our listeners are probably going to be people that have either been on the mission field or are considering the mission field. And 
I think for for some of us, you know, depending on our church situation or what's going on, it's it's clear. Like you might get a phone call and somebody's like, hey, we want you to go to Italy. We want you to go to Spain. We want you to go here. And for others, it might just be a thought. It's something that it, it remains. It's there. But maybe there's not like that conversation, you know, that occurs or they weren't maybe in Nessum per se. And so right. what, what, would be, what would be your thoughts, you know, for, for them and how to figure out a trajectory to, you know, ending up on the mission field without having like that moment where it's like, you sat me down and asked me, you know, what do you think? Yeah, totally. No, I think it's a great question. And obviously, you know, those that are serving in the ministry full time, we want to be humble servants and lift everyone else up and try to, and try to, make the church uh, and try to build the church to be as glorious and as much in God's image as possible. But the reality is that's not most people's situation and it doesn't have to be. There's so many people that have given on the mission field and come for short times or long um, that are not, you know, supported staff. They're not, you know, supported by some missionary society. They're just people that want to serve and people that want to give. There's a whole group of people right now that just went over to uh, to now. I think they're back in the in the Ukraine um, in Odessa. But this revive EE revive Eastern Europe right. thing, where you know it's not a bunch of ministry staff. It's just a bunch of people that want to serve, right. and yeah. it's a broad age group. It's a broad range of backgrounds and experiences. But I think people that really want to give their lives for the gospel. God's going to open doors, and there are ways. I think like it's one thing to catch a dream. It's another thing to start really praying that it happens. Mm. Right. And I think wow. when you start praying that, you know, God, I, you, I have this dream on my heart and I like, please like show me, show me the door, like open the door for me, show me where to go. And then I would say, don't sit on it. You know, right. like faith without deeds is dead and a missionary dream without any, any follow-up. I mean, how, how much more, prompt do you need than just reading the scriptures or just reading Matthew 28, where it says, you know, all nations, that doesn't just mean your, your Bible talk. It includes that. But I mean, we don't, it doesn't, it's, it's very clear. If you, if you're someone who reads your Bible, if you're someone who, who is, is a a wholehearted disciple that you're going to want to make disciples of all nations. That's just, that's just the DNA of a disciple. And if you, can be used in a special capacity, I would say, go for it. I mean, you, I I think like, it's not hard to get in contact with us. All of the information for almost any church leader all over the world is all up on the website. If you go to disciples today, if there's someone, yeah. If there's someone who's listening and they say like, you know, I I actually, you know, I'm single or even maybe they're empty nesters or something like that. And they feel as though they're financially able to do it or they'd be able to find a job abroad or something. Yeah you feel like you yourself or other church leaders, not just in Europe would be very open to having a conversation with that person, you know, if they want. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, there's been, there's been some, uh, there's been some efforts to try to make these connections. And I really applaud Tom Brown and the others that have championed the one year challenge. I think there's a, a brother in China that's done really, really well with it and had a lot of people move it's and we can pray for our, we can pray for our brothers and sisters in China because it's definitely not an easy time and their lives have changed even more than the rest of us with coronavirus, with just kind of government moving and changing. Um, but I would, 
Yes. So we're going to interview him next Monday. Yeah. Oh, there you go. So that he's a great person. Kelsey Hahn, I think is his name. Yep. He's a great person. Um, great person to, to work through. He's done amazingly well. Um, and the, the reality is that some countries are easier to get into than others. We were, uh, we were actually a candidate for one year challenges and we never actually got anyone to move here. And that wasn't really people's fault. It was just hard. It's just hard to get into Italy, particularly hard to get into mm-hmm. Italy. Um, it's not easy. Um, and so there are a lot of different ways to serve a lot of different places people can go, but I would say like what, if you have a heart for the mission, don't wait for a phone call. Don't wait for someone to tap you on the shoulder, man. Like the mission is just outside your door. It's in your cell phone and every single contact it's on your Instagram page. And the mission is everywhere, right? God is trying to reconcile this world back to himself. He's trying to bring his kingdom for, and it, it doesn't take a whole, like any, every single action, every single thing that we do in our life contributes to that or doesn't. And totally. so I, I would just encourage people like the job that you choose, the school that you choose, the, the, the career, like the path that you go on, like everywhere you go is the mission. But if you have a special dream for, for, or you speak a language, or you have a special ability to be able to go into a country because you have relatives or you have some kind of, uh, I don't know, some kind of heritage or something where you can get citizenship, you are special. So this guy has Italian citizenship? Yeah. yeah. Well, you are, you, these people are special and precious. God has put you in a special, yeah, precious special position. Thank you. Yes. Because, because there's many that have wanted to come and are unable to. Yeah. Um, and I applaud those that have right now, we actually have living with us, someone, uh, Brianna Larrabee, who she's not supported by any mission society. She's not getting any money from anyone. She came over because she had a heart for the Milan church. She came one summer and just made relationships here and went, man, like I got like, God could use me so much in a place like this because there's just so many needs and there's just so much to be done in the kingdom of God here in Italy. And so for her, it was a dream right away. And when she finished um, kind of doing different things um, in Boston, she worked for the church for a while, she did different things. Um, she decided, I'm just going to start a master's program in Milan. Wow. And that's going to be my way in. And I don't know, I'm going to try to get a job after that. And God has really blessed that. She's about to finish her master's program. Um, and then she's going to stay here and try to get a job here. Um, she's got a boyfriend here. So, you know, so, so I think like there's a lot of different paths, but I would just, just encourage people don't wait around and don't expect someone else to do it for you. Like, I don't have time to find you a visa. Right. And no, and no church leader does, but, but, but no church leader is ever going to say no to someone saying, Hey, I want to come. This is what I'm thinking. You know, is there a way for me to serve? What can I pray about? How can I get involved even now? There's literally no excuse because we're all on Zoom anyways. Right. You could jump into any church service anywhere in the world almost right now. Um, so if you have a dream for missions, like if you want, if you want to participate in a in a in a church service in Milan or Paris, I'll just give you the Zoom ID and you just jump on in. I mean, wow, it's that simple. That's it's not that hard. You can literally visit. Hot you can literally visit any church in the world right now yeah. in a way that you never could before. And you're going to hear your brothers and sisters all around the world worshiping in their own language, reading the scriptures in their own language, praying in their own language. And even if you don't understand, you're going to be moved because it's just a moving experience to realize that what what we're part of is so much bigger 
than just right, you know it. going to Bible Sunday, talk every week. Tokyo Church of Christ. Right. I'm I'm definitely that, I'm there you definitely go. In. That's yeah. thinking that I just I just gotta say that's inspiring. And I think it's it's given people access right now, what's happening with coronavirus and everything, it's giving people access to churches in a way that we might not have had otherwise, or we wouldn't have had otherwise. You know, the fact that someone yeah. that wants to check out the Milan church can just hop on a Milan, you know, midweek Zoom or something, you know what I mean? Yeah. That's, a, that's, that's an incredible thing you just mentioned that I, I think definitely tap into yeah, that, should, bro. Yeah. For sure. We got a Zoom meeting every day. And I'm just going to do a little plug. If you're listening to this, it's probably because you have some kind of missionary spirit. If you have, if you speak Italian, if you have Italian relatives, like we need you. We are, when we <laughs> moved here six years ago, what Rachel and I went, we don't speak Italian. I got a German name. We're both blonde hair, blue eyes. We don't fit the profile. Um, but God's going to use us anyways. And he yeah. has. Um, but people that can have citizenship, people that already speak the language. I feel like it took five years just to be able to like really have a good sense of being able to like communicate my heart in Italian. Um, and now mm. God's blessed it. I mean, I, I yeah. feel like it makes no difference whether we have this conversation in English or Italian, I'll make some grammatical mistakes and, but I can express my heart in the exact right. same way. Thank, and not everybody can. So that's a unique gift too. If you're good at learning languages, then, hey, like you can go to a church and serve right away. But if anybody is out there and they speak Italian, like, or you, or you have a dream or a heart for Italian missions and you got any kind of resources, money, uh, worship music, anything that you can do, like jump on our Zoom call. We come visit our church, get connected. Because when we moved here, we had kind of three dreams that we've always prayed about for the church. We wanted uh, to, we, our first focus was just a new generation. A new generation of disciples. You want to ask the question or you just want me to answer it without you asking? Did you see yeah. me pointing to my notes? Yeah. Yes. I was like, it literally doesn't matter. John's just like, you, yeah, here are the struggles. Here are the dreams. Here's right. what you got to do. It's like, no, it's good. This is awesome. Yeah. Bro. I, we, we love listening to you and, and I hope well, we're listening. I'll just, I'll just say this well. too. You make me want to like, you know, just go move to Milan, honestly. And, and I always, I, I do wonder why God, you know, had it so that I got Italian citizenship and I got it while we were living in Madrid thinking mm -hmm. it would help, but it took much longer than I anticipated. So I didn't get it till I came back home, but it is, it is really uh, inspiring, you know, everything you're sharing. And you mentioned something that will actually, we, we talked a little bit with Will about, which is the language aspect. And I did just mm -hmm. want to take a second to ask you about that. You know, someone considering moving, they might say, ah, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't speak the language or they might not put enough emphasis on the importance of learning the language. And so, you know, kind of what's your thought there for somebody kind of going back and forth on, on language and what would be your advice in terms of, you know, considering the mission field in light of language? Yeah, I think it's a great question. It's probably something that we don't, I, I think I would even broaden it to include culture, right? Yeah. Because the language and the way of life and the way that people think and the way that people go about their lives is so different country to country. And I think whenever, if you're going to be a missionary and you're going to go live abroad, you're always going to be whatever you are. Like I'm always going to be American. That's just my DNA. It's what I grew up, but your ability to learn and want to learn and right. want to like throw yourself into the culture, including mm -hmm. the language is going to go a long way for your, your medium and long-term effectiveness and your ability to stay in any specific place. I know 
that like Max, when he went, he decided like, I'm going to learn this language and he learned it and he learned Russian in an incredible way. Like that was super important. And that made Max so much more effective because there's, I mean, it's not, not everyone's able to do it. So if you are able to do it, it's a special skill. Imagine if you had like a, a, uh, amazing, amazing, like professional singer who's like professionally trained musician and you're, you're in a church and your worship stinks and you're like looking at like, wait, and you see a YouTube video of this brother that's just been coming to church every week. You see him singing and playing his guitar or something. And you're like, wait, well, you, you were never going to mention this. I mean, you have this amazing ability. Right. We're out here struggling and right. you could, you could help us worship God in this way. Like what, what are you holding back? You know? And I think the same thing, like there's a lot of people out there that have language ability or they may not know they have it or they've learned languages in the past. I think anyone who already speaks two language languages, it's, it's already easier to pick up a third. Um, Anyone who has kind of that, but a lot of it in the end is ambition. Like you, you really have to throw yourself in. Like, imagine if you want to get, if you want to get in great shape, you can make a decision one day and you can go all out, but you're never going to get in shape in one day or in one week or in two weeks. It really is like the everyday work that you put into it and being willing to go to the gym every day and right. eat the right way. And it's the same thing for any language. The, the reason we're able to pick up Italian is because we threw ourselves in right away so that we didn't establish all these relationships and all these like coping mechanisms uh, in English uh, and where we were like heavily relying on it and trying to like, we, we decided like, no, we're going to learn it the right way. We're going to try to like really push it. And that was a huge emphasis for us. It took up tons of our time the first year, but it was so worth the investment because our church is like a third of the church speaks English fluently. No problem. A third of the church is like 50, 50, like kind of, but not really. And there's going to be stuff lost in translation. And a third of the church doesn't speak English at all. Right. So if you want to be able to minister to the whole church, if you want to be able to be useful for God and for all these people, then you got to pick up the language. But that doesn't mean that you can't serve right away when you get here. Rachel and I spoke zero Italian when we showed up. Right. And within a year, like I started doing all my messages in Italian. So like there, like you can make great progress really quickly if you decide to. And I would always, always encourage missionaries, like when you move, like, like it's super important. It's worth the time. Even if it doesn't seem like it, it's worth the time to make sure all your documents are in order to make sure mm. that you're learning the language that you're eating, like try to like start learning to eat and cook the way they eat and cook. I mean, the more things that you can just kind of get familiar with and understand it's a way of loving people because it's like, you know, when Paul says like, we didn't just share the gospel, but our lives as well. Right. That's yeah. what it is. You're sharing your life and you're letting them share their life with you. And it creates a special bond that goes deeper than, Hey, you know, we, we go to church together. It right. does create this really deep bond. So yeah, language is, language is great. If you don't have it, that's fine, but you just got to work hard at it when you get there. Um, and even if you can't, even if you're totally super limited, God always finds a way. There's no excuse. There's no excuse. Like God, God always finds a way to work. Someone who has a genuine heart. I'll take someone who has like a committed, super committed, pure heart before God that speaks zero Italian over a fluent Italian that's like, that like is kind of half in it. John, I also, I had some Italy specific questions. Which All right, hit me. Uniquely, you're uniquely, uh, I guess, situated to answer. Absolutely. But, I, but, I, but I also um, wanted to ask before that, going along with just people wanting to go to different places. And we asked Will this a little bit as well, but 
uh, how did you feel as though there is a surplus of leaders or servants in America that maybe international churches don't have? And that, I don't know if you froze, oh, it looked like you froze for a second, but you, you had. <laughs> no, I was just intensely thinking about your question. How to okay. answer it? Because the answer is like, no, but the, the answer to me is so, so, so clear. Yeah. It's absolutely yes. Absolutely yes. Now, is every, every American situated in the best position to be able to come over and serve? No, but many are. And just the, the amount of maturity in our spiritual maturity and, and the leadership training that is available and given in our U.S. churches right now is far beyond most of our churches in the world because most of the churches are younger. They don't have the same resources and they honestly don't come from the same kind of spiritual backgrounds. I mean, the Boston church has had at its very onset, it had elders that had were in the faith for 30, 40 years. We don't have a single person in our church that's been in the faith that long. You know what I mean? And so we have, praise God, we have a couple of elders in the church and there's a few, like there's a, a couple of more that in the next five, 10 years, like could totally become that. That's awesome. But like, we're, you know, we're building something that's very young and that, that generation, that kind of generation that all those people that should have, could have, would have become faithful servants to, to God between like 2000 and 2010, that generation is sort of a lost generation. Mm -hmm. And that yeah. hits differently in different churches. Our U.S. churches were able to sort of cope with some of that because we had so many teens right. that had been baptized. And then that could like, for instance, myself or Will or so many others. But I find that so many of the missionaries, so many of the leaders now are people that were that grew up in the churches. And that's mostly just because like we went a decade without converting a whole ton of people. Mm. And so there's such a need, especially at younger age groups um, between 20 and 40. Like if we hadn't baptized anyone over the last six years that we've been here, we'd probably be looking at like three or four people in that age group mm. in the whole church. What it is now is probably 25 or something like that. Like it's wow. really, it's really great. Like it's, it's awesome. great. Like it's a really vibrant, really great wow. group of people. But someone like Brianna, for instance, who grew up in the Boston church, who, um, who just came to serve. She doesn't have any special role here. She's not on any leadership team. She's not on anything like that, but she, but she just came to serve and give and um, her spiritual maturity makes such a difference. Her, um, her, like her, just her heart just to give and serve right. has already produced so much. And so I totally feel that way that there are like an embarrassment of riches in a lot of churches. It's <laughs> uh, like, there's so many people that are qualified to, and, and capable of doing far more than they currently are in the kingdom of God. And I, and I just, I just look at them like, you know, like they're just, they're just sitting on the, they're sitting in the dugout and one day, like God's going to put them in the game and, and just watch out. They're going to make a big difference. What do you feel like maybe needs to happen, you know, to, to, to spark that kind of, uh, of a movement, so to speak, you know, this is, this is a culture thing, right? This isn't mm -hmm. necessarily one person. This is an excitement about the mission field and, and that kind of zeal and, how do you, what do you feel like are the steps to get there? Well, I mean, I'm, I don't feel like uniquely qualified to answer that question. It sure, is something sure. I think, I think about a lot though. 
because it, it's something that um, I, I have this like very deep prayer or this very deep sense of call it responsibility, duty, or just honestly, like for such a time as this kind of mindset mm. with Esther, where mm. like our churches around the world, worldwide, we need the next generation to step up now. Amen. So many of the people that have given and given their lives uh, for the gospel are now getting to an age where like, it's not fair of us to expect them to keep doing it. Right. Right. <laughs> and so, and, and I just feel like um, in order to kind of change that culture, I do think it takes more like so many of us to have a shared vision going mm. forward mm. that like we there i think back in the day as foolish as some of the plans we made were a six-year plan or a whatever year plan there was a plan right 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 and i think i think that you know we've been in a place where we've stressed unity and harmony and and cooperation and i think that's been really good i think we needed that but at some point like what unifies us more than the mission that god has given us there's nothing that our church here in milan has more in common with the church there in Hartford than like make disciples of all nations. That is the same for you. And it's the same for us. Right. The culture differences exist. The, like the way the church looks, the background, the, the way it's made up, the, how big it is, all that stuff is all so different, but right. we have the same mission in front of us. So I, I, I just think it takes people doing what you guys are doing, just getting a, getting a message out there that's clear and just, just, and just like, we, we all got to get on the same page and start really dreaming together. And then, you know, at the end of the day, you got to put your money where your mouth is. We say we want to make disciples of all nations. Well, a lot of people are going to have to go to all nations to make those disciples. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah, totally. And, and a disciple, like if we're mate, if we have a bunch of people in our churches that aren't super, like super focused on the mission and we do meet some pe people that we baptize, but what they see and what they're part of is something that's like, yeah, the mission's important kind of, but you know, we're also trying to do this and that and all these other things like that. That's what they're going to, that's what they're going to become as well. And it kind of just continues that way. And we sort of drifting away from the mission. And, um, and I think, uh, you know, there, there are certainly things that, all of us can do better and all of us can grow in, but being too committed to the mission, that's never a mistake. Uh, it just point. isn't right. because what, yeah. what, what, what more important can you invest your life and your time and your energy into in this, in this precious time that God gives us in this world? Right. There's nothing more, there's nothing more important than, right. than seeing more of our brothers and sisters because that payout is eternal. Amen. And so uh, I, I, I just, if we can, it, I, it, we can try to have conferences and seminars and you can try to get a podcast going. And I think we need all of it, but ultimately it's one person catching a dream, sharing it with another, sharing it with another. Right. And I think things like this are helpful because people see that it's possible and it's happening and I can be part of it. I think mm. if we get enough people starting to move, a lot of people will see that and be like, I want in right. and we can just get that train rolling. So I'm, I know you guys are both missionaries. You spent some time abroad. I think you probably will again someday. 
Um, and so I think, I, I mean, I think that you guys are in a prime position right now to really kind of move people in that direction. But I'm, I'm just excited that we're having this time that we're, right. that we're having this conversation, because I think a conversation like this needs to happen in every D group all over the world. Amen. Amen. Yeah, no. So yeah, I want to maybe quickly some Italy questions. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, hit me. You know, cause that, that's fun. Those are just fun. But you know, John, what was like the culture shock when you moved from mm. Italy, or from Boston to Italy? Right. Um, and then also maybe what's something that you really love about Italy? Yeah. Well, for sure. Culture shock is like you, you, you want to make, like you have all your standard things that you make for dinner or make for these things. Right. And then you, so you go to the store and you're like, you realize like, I don't, I can't, I don't even know if I can make any of these things because the ingredients aren't even necessarily available here. I remember going to the grocery store and we just wanted to make pancakes, but we're going to have pancakes. We want to have maple syrup. So like, where the heck do you find maple syrup in Italy? So we go to the grocery store and I look it up on like Google translate and I'm like, okay, this is the word. I got this. And yeah. I keep saying it over and over again to the guy. And the guy's like, I don't know what that is. What are you talking about? He like calls his like guy over. He's like, I don't know what that is. Like, what are you guys talking about? Right. And then I like take it on my phone. I show it to him and he goes, Oh, I was saying the chero and it just messed it. Like just putting the accent on the wrong syllable. They had no clue what I was saying. Like there's just, there's a million things like that. I can't even describe it to you because it's it's literally everything is the same. Like what, the only thing that is everything seems the same, but it's just enough different to make you uncomfortable and make you have to think like like ten times harder about everything. Right. Oh, like you need to park your car. Like oh well, do you know like do you even know the rules and can you even read the signs <laughs> that say that thing or right, right, like right. oh like you want to get on the metro like. Well, do you even know like how, like, do you even have a credit card that can actually pay yeah. here? Cause they're not going to take your American credit card. I mean, there's just a million little tiny things that are like that. And it, and it's just like kind of a constant thing, but I actually see it as a super positive um, because it really reminds us as like the writer of Hebrews reminds us that we are foreigners and anyone who has not had an experience abroad and doesn't speak your, your first language. I totally recommend it for some amount of time, like go to serve on a, whatever, on a hope, uh, a hope trip, like a volunteer trip or whatever. Like, I don't know, like anything, but get, go on vacation abroad just to get a sense of like, it's weird. Like it just is. And I think it's really, really good for our spirituality because yeah. I think if any, if I think of anything, I relate anything to America, it's just being comfortable. And what, and for me, the culture shock is just always being a little bit uncomfortable all the time. Uh, I don't drink like, uh, I mean, I used to, I don't know, what did I do? I, I would get up and have a bowl of cereal and drink some orange juice. Now I wake up and have like a little espresso and I'm ready to go. Like it, you, you learn all these things over time and you kind of become like the way that your country is. But, um, but I think, yeah, it's hard to sum up in just one thing. Thing, but that language element and just the weight of like, I don't know how to send anything at the post office. I don't know how to set up a bank account. I don't know how to do anything. And like having to relearn like how to live life in a different country is hard, but it's so good for you because it's humbling. And it's also just reminds you that like you, you thought you were, you know, you were nice and comfortable, but really you're just a foreigner in this land because you're a citizen of the kingdom of God. 
And that's what really matters. So if it's hard today, that's a good thing because maybe it'll remind you of like your true home and your true rest is in heaven. So that's kind of the way I look, look at it a little bit. Wow. And you also asked me what my favorite thing about Italy is. Yeah. Yep. So for me, like, I actually love living in Italy at this point. It's been six years and I'm actually more comfortable living in Italy right now than I am living in the States because that's just, it just becomes your new normal. And maybe we're starting to feel that with the pandemic. Like it's more normal to like be socially distanced and uh, wear a mask or I don't want to be controversial here on a podcast, but uh, like our, our new normal is just a little bit different than it was. But the thing I've really loved, two things, one is kind of shallow, one is more, more profound. The, I love the, the food. They care about their food. They care, like everything is, oh. every ingredient is like sourced and you can trace it back. Like I went to the butcher the other day and like literally on the wall, it like gives all the tracing numbers of all the farms. If you want to trace it back to the original farm that you like this beef was sent from, we, we had Thanksgiving and we ordered our turkey and he got us our turkey and he was like, oh, there's another American that got a turkey this week. And we're like, oh, like, when do they come in? I want to meet this person. But the food here, I mean, it's, you know, you, you guys know what Italian food is like, kind of, because you've been to Italian restaurants and you like that. We'll come to Italy and uh, and we'll go out for a meal here and you'll and it, it's like every meal I have is like the best meal I ever had. You know, no, I remember so when I, when I visited you in Milan. It was it was yeah. uh, quite the experience. It's just, the culinary. It's, experience. And, yeah, yeah. And if it, and if and if I'm eating good food, I'm I'm pretty happy wherever I am. Like that's like the most important thing to me. <laughs> so I I mean I love that. And then the deeper thing I think is I just I just love the Italian people. Um, they are very different than Americans in so many ways. And sometimes it frustrates me. I mean, Americans have this, like, we, you know, even stupidly sometimes, like we can do anything we want. Like we're going to, like, we can accomplish anything if we set our minds to it. And like Italians just aren't like that. They're like, they're like designers. They're like engineers. They're like, they, they, they're always like seeing all of the faults and all. And sometimes that can lead to like stagnation in some ways. Um, but I just have, like, we just, Rachel and I, we just love Italians because they're so heartsy and they're so sincere. If someone doesn't like something you said or something you did, they're just going to tell you. And that's hard sometimes because in America, we have this like, well, you know, right. you got to know someone before you can say something negative about them. They, they have no qualms, you know, like they just <laughs> say what they feel. They wear their heart on their sleeve. And what that allows us to do is create these such deep connections with people. Um, even like people that like our neighbors, I mean, it's amazing to be able to just have this deep conversation to sit around. They value family. They value um, real deep friendship in mm. a way that I think we can kind of take for granted sometimes in the States. And, and it's something that I really respect is that they take the time to really do things the right way, try to do things the right way. Sometimes they get bogged down with bureaucracy or other things. And that's a little bit frustrating, but, um, but I would say like that is, what we truly love is just we love um, the Italians' passion. Right. Their the way that they 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 perfect their craft, whether it's calcio, that's soccer or football for everybody else, or whether it's it's uh, their cars. Like everybody has a Ferrari or Lamborghini, and they're known for just like you, you know that that actually translates like that's a result of the way that Italians are. 
And I, I really do believe because of that, like, even if it takes a long time, that God's going to build just a, mm. a work of art, like a, a David sculpture mm. out, out of his kingdom here in Italy. It's in process and it's taken a long time. And sometimes you can get frustrated with that process. But I really do believe that because of um, how much uh, they, people here are sincere and family oriented and have a genuine faith, like I, I really believe like God's going to do an amazing things here. Yeah. Wow. And, and along those lines, like, what do you feel like the strength is of the church in Italy? Yeah. Does it, would that be correspond? It? Yeah. Just, I was going to say, does it, it just correspond to that? Right. So um, I think I'll just give you guys an example. So we had, um, so How we definitely, in Italy, by the way. All right. So I'll give you a little overview of the church and then I'll get yeah. to your question. So our church here, um, it's weird in the years of COVID because, you know, you don't actually have church. So you're not like together. We just have, you know, zoom calls for church and stuff. So the way I look at it is like, we have, a, depending on who you count exactly, because we have students that are usually abroad, but they're with their parents or whatever, whatever. Um, we have about 85 disciples that are under the kind of shepherding umbrella of the Milan church. And a good amount of that now, about 10 of them are actually in other places in Italy. Hmm. We have uh, a mom of a disciple that was baptized that participates in literally everything that's on the phone every day with disciples. She's like in her seventies. She's this, uh, this, this grandma from Napoli, this Napoli, Napolitana, like it speaks her dialect. I barely understand a word she says. And, uh, and she's down in, in Naples. We have another family that's close to Venice, another family that's like, so we we're kind of spread out, but we have, you know, in, in the mid eighties, and that's one of our dreams is to get to a hundred disciples. Uh, another dream is to, is to send out churches from Italy, to, to, from Milan, to send out churches all over Italy. And our first church planning is, you know, I feel is like imminent. Like we need to do it. We got to do it. The time is now, you know, that, that was my, 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 my question after that was, you know, well, you know, when is, what is the next church planting in Italy? When will it happen? I don't know. I, you know, pray, pray for us and pray about it. We, we've started having some meetings about it. We've started praying together about it. I know like if we, if we decided that, you know, as soon as COVID's over, we're going to this city. I know that there'd be six or eight young people in the church that would be ready and start looking for jobs tomorrow. So, and that's super encouraging. These are some of our best friends at these points. This is, these are people that are just so committed to God and his, and his, his mission, his kingdom. Um, and so I'm excited about that too. So it, we're, Rome or it could be Rome, you know, Rome, it could be a lot of different places. I know Rome is a very romanticized city. It's obviously one of the most historic cities. It's a place that Paul was imprisoned. So there's a lot of reasons to, to go to Rome. There's honestly so much work to be done that there is no bad city to go to. There's so many great cities all right. over Italy. It's kind of like wherever we can get a bunch of people to find jobs, we're, we're, we, we, we just go. Like, and uh, Rome, I mean, we need a new, we need a hub for missions in Southern Italy and Rome or, or Naples or wherever could end up being that. And they're only about an hour apart by train. So that's okay. kind of almost one church kind of sister churches there or brother churches there down um in the southern italy um so yeah we're about in the mid 80s we have like a third of our church now is young people that are like either young singles um students or or teens in the church um about a 
third of the church is kind of in the middle. We kind of have it broken down that way, but most of the church, I'd say like 60% of the church is actually married couples um, in that way. But my, the, you asked, you know, what is the church like here? And those are kind of the numbers, but they don't describe the, the heart of the church here. And the example I would give is uh, we've definitely been through it this year. There've been ups and downs. I mean, coronavirus is tough. That might be another one of your questions that you wanted to get to, but- I, I, I don't think we'll have time to get to it, but if you want to mention okay. how that's been- that Well, would be I'll, yeah, I'll give you guys two minutes on just kind of the way, so what, what things have been like this year. So, you know, coronavirus was in the news. It was like a big thing. I remember traveling to Paris it was like end of February and, uh, and people were starting to whisper about it. And it was like, oh, you know, are there any cases in Europe? Are there any cases anywhere? Do we know? And it, and it was seen as this, you know, really deadly, like scary thing. And, and in a lot of ways, it still is. We know so much more about it then. But I remember we were on the train to Paris and I remember getting to Paris and then getting really sick and thinking, wait, did I, you know, get coronavirus? Like, what wow. is this? And on the way home, I like couldn't even be with my kids and my wife because I was so sick. I couldn't talk. I just had to lay down on the train and the conductor was upset with me, wow. but I was like, listen, I just can't, I just have to lay down. Like I was so sick. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't coronavirus. Um, but I, I remember like that, like just, there was that fear. And then all of a sudden, like we were the epicenter right, <laughs> of absolutely. all of it and, and mm -hmm. things were shutting down. They were sending they were sending the military up to Bergamo to help them like move the dead bodies out. Like it was just, they were piling them up in the churches oh because they just God. had nowhere to go with them. It was just crazy. And it all hit at once and we didn't know what was going on. And so right away, like we bonded together, we figured out how to have like YouTube services and we got ourselves, you know, we got ourselves together and we figured out a plan and I felt like it was so bonding and, and just to go through that together. And I've seen this church just fight so hard to stay connected. Um, and that's the strength of the church is just that we are really family. This is the family of God. Wow. And we embody that in so many ways. There are so many difficult situations. Um, a guy that uh, I studied the Bible with last year, he's a, a, one of the kids that grew up in the church. He's 18 years old. His name's Massimo. He was, uh, he was diagnosed with cancer in July, in the second week of July this year, in the middle of COVID. And so, um, and he, he was like one of my best friends. We're super close. And so it's just hard. He's in the hospital. He's been mm. in the hospital 90% of the time doing his chemotherapies and stuff. And I can't even, we can't even go visit him right now. Not even the rest of his family at the moment can go visit him wow. because of the, the restriction levels in the hospitals and his immune system and all that. And so, but what I've seen though, is the church has just come together and has just rallied together. Any need that anyone has, it's taken care of. We have some uh, uh, elderly ladies that live in our, our, uh, in our town here. And, uh, and like, and one of the elders lives just a couple doors down from our house. His name's Fabio. Ooh. And like, I was just talking to him the other day and he's like, and I was like, oh, have you heard from these ladies? And he told me, yeah, I talked to them yesterday. And this is situation here. This is situation here. I went by and we brought them dinner and then I'm going to make sure that they get like their, 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 uh, their like their groceries. Um, and, and it's like, it's all taken care of. And like, that is the church. Like wow. we are so like so close wow. and so bonded and taking care of each other and, and talking to each other every day. And I, I mean, there's just a really reliance on each other that I think is so good and so healthy in the kingdom of God. 
And so I, I, it's a lot to go through, but I do feel like God has, uh, has shown us again and again, his goodness through even the most difficult of circumstances. You guys can pray for us when our second lockdown, I know other people are in and out of lockdowns. Lockdowns here are real lockdowns. There's police on the street that stop you and ask to see your documents of why are you out of your house? If you don't have a valid reason, you'll get fined 400 euros. I mean, they're not messing around. So like I, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's real crazy stuff, but we're all doing the best we can. And the church here, I feel like has never been closer, but we really do crave like being together. And yeah. so we pray that we can get back together soon um, and be able to, and be able to just hug each other again. I know, you know, we'll see how everything goes here, but no matter what, we know that, that God's with us, that he's working, that he has a plan pray for Massimo that he gets through his first treatment here. Um, that is, that is, uh, that, you know, and many other situations in our church, he's certainly not the only one, but an 18 year old man that I think God has great dreams for that, that God's going to do great things with. And he's just kind of going through his, uh, his, his time of, uh, refinement wow. right now. Yeah, we'll definitely absolutely be praying for all of that. And that's incredible stuff. I wanted to end with one last question, a personal one for you. Um, just this experience, you know, of going on the mission field. And it was also cool hearing just even how you and some of the, the teams from the team ministry all ended up on the mission field because now I'm doing, uh, my wife and I, Lamisha, we're doing youth and family in Southern Connecticut. And so uh, just have, you know, I think this is going to be inspiring for teens to listen to, just to have a vision, you know, for like, well, we can go anywhere in the world and mm -hmm. preach the gospel and, and, and doors can open because of this. And I think even dealing with culture shock, but being able to go through that with a church that loves you and can support you as you kind of go through that experience, like you're not alone. And I think those are such incredible things. And the question I wanted to, to end with, uh, bro, is um, just this experience for you. How has it been transformative for you personally? You know, being on the mission field for the past six years, like who are you now that you couldn't be without having been on the mission field? It's a really great question, Pat. I'm, I'm glad you asked it um, because I, I'm often pretty thinking about and focused on other people and don't always spend enough time just thinking right, about right. myself and just sit, sitting before God and just going, you know, God, what are you doing here? What, what are you, what are you trying to, you know, what are you working on in me? Um, but honestly, I, I feel like uh, a little bit like Paul says, like he's been poured out as like a, a wine offering or something like that. I mean, it, we've, we've had incredible highs with people becoming disciples, studying the Bible with people for years and then walking away and then coming back a year later. And it, I mean, it just my faith has been built up so much because I've seen that the way that God works and the way that he moves despite language barrier, culture barrier, just kind of weird that there's just Americans here. Like what, 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 like, what is all this? Like, and, and God works despite all of any weaknesses and anything like that. I just right. feel like my faith has really been built in that way. My character has been refined so much. I think becoming a dad will do that to you. Absolutely. I think, uh, I think um, actually when my wife gave birth to our first child, she had a like this sudden onset high blood pressure uh, right at the end of her pregnancy that caused her to have a, a huge grand mal seizure, like in the middle of the night, she was 38 weeks pregnant. Wow. And so I woke up in the middle of the night to her convulsing and foaming at the mouth and then her being 
at, like unconscious for 10 minutes, you know? And I'd never seen anything like that. It was like out of some movie or something. It was just, a, and I, I remember sitting there like not knowing what to do, pulling out my phone, looking up the number for the ambulance because I'd never had to call 911. I was about to call 911. I was like, you can't call 911. You call, you <laughs> wow. know what I mean? So if you're, yeah. So just the situations like that, but I'll tell you that in that moment, it brought me to my knees and I, yeah. I, all I could do is I had my, my wife's like in my, who had our unborn child in her belly. Like I had her head, I was holding her head as she was unconscious. I was down on my knees and I was just begging God to, to deliver her. And just like, cause I was like, what, what am I doing here? What, 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 what is, uh, what more can I give up wow. if I have to give up my wife and my child and everything else in my life? And I just feel that anything that I've given up or sacrificed, God has given back to me a hundred times. Wow. Mm. The, 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 the friends, the family, the spiritual family, the, the so rewarding um, just working in God's kingdom, being on the mission field, um, that I, I feel like it's sobering to realize that in the end, we are just, we're just mortal men. Like we are just dust and yet God loves us and cares about us. I think when I went on the mission field, I had a deep sense of duty that, you know, I need to do this. This is, this is that I, this is what God is calling me to do. And I feel like he's refined my heart. Um, and he's taught me that this whole thing, it's not just duty because God said to do it. So no, it, it really is like co- coming to a full understanding of just how deep, how great and deep and, and, t- and high and wide is the love of Christ. Wow. And just realizing that how much God loves me and how much he's done for me. And just, it's, it's purified my motivations. And I know whether I live the rest of my life here in Italy or some other mission field, or we move back to the States or whatever, wherever I go, whatever I do, like God has changed me forever and has purified mm. my heart. And I feel like my relationship with him uh, now is the way that it's supposed to be what I give and what I do is, 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 is just because he's loved me. And, uh, and and it's not just because, you know, I made a commitment or I said, Jesus is Lord or whatever. It's, it's, it it goes so far beyond that where I've really learned about the love of God and about his grace and about his mercy. And I feel like it's just had such a great effect on my life that my faith has gone from just kind of a, just a young, ambitious American dude that thinks that, you know, that has a dream that thinks he's going to do something great to um, just realizing how much God has loved me and taken care of me and how much he has done for me and just wanting to live my life, to give back to him every day and just eagerly awaiting my eternity with him and trying to bring as many people along with me as possible. I feel like that, I don't know. I, I don't, maybe I would have got there. Maybe it would have taken 20 years. Right, years right, right. I don't know. But in missionary time, each year is like got to be worth at least four or five. I don't know. And I feel like, I felt like that process has been sped up so much being here on the mission field and I wouldn't trade it for anything. Yeah, it, awesome. de- it definitely, yeah, it speeds things up a lot being on the missionary field. It's like you're in the uh, different gravity sometimes and your faith just gets strong. You get those big muscles and, 
And uh, wait, really quick for our listeners. So that story you just told, which is, I mean, we just we had a we have our son. He's about a year and a half now. I couldn't imagine, you know, going through mm-hmm. that in a in a foreign country. So I mean, obviously for our listeners, it, she Rachel turned out she's okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, God, God is amazing. God delivered her. Um, she ended up uh, she ended up giving birth that night. Um, the fear at the moment. They so I called. Uh, you know, whatever one one eight was the number at the time. Now it's one one twelve for all emergencies. And, uh, and they sent like 10 or 12 people in my, in my apartment within 10 minutes and they're all there and they're taking care of her. And they're asking me all these questions at time. I have no idea what's going on, but they tell me that like, okay, so she's fine. She needs to, but we need to go to the hospital right now because we can't detect like the baby's heartbeat. So they like, and I was just like, okay, God. So I'm just sitting in, in one of their ambulances, just praying the whole way we get to the Mm -hmm. hospital. You can tell everyone's tense. Like they get her on a bed and they wheel her in and they connect her to all the machines. Like the big doctor comes in and he looks at things and he he turns to me and he puts his hand on my shoulder and he says, like, it's okay. Like the the, the baby's fine. You're, you're going to be a father tonight. Oh my gosh. And up to that point, I was just panicked and like just super tense. And that was a moment where I just was allowed to like relax. And I just started crying. I just started weeping. And cause I, I thought I was going to lose my, my wife or my, my first son. And Ben is five years old now. He is, uh, I just took him out and we, it snowed here today, uh, which happens like twice a year. And so I took him out on his little snowboard and like pulled him around and, uh, and he's healthy. He's happy. He's a bundle of energy. We've had a second child here named Aurora, um, because she is a great light in our family and, uh, and, and she's doing great. She speaks as much Italian uh, as any of us at this point. Um, she's, uh, she's assimilated really well. So no, we're, God has been so good to us, um, but it does give us uh, a lot of mercy for those that do lose kids um, for birth complications. It's more common than you think. And, and uh, I, I, uh, I, it's just another thing in life that just brought me to my knees, that humbled me and made me realize how good God is. Wow. I could not even imagine that, bro. I was, mm. my heart started beating faster just hearing that story. Yeah. I've been through, if we, if that happened to Lamisha and I, I would be so, yeah. Yeah. Everything you described, man, I could, I could feel that. Cause just giving, you know, just, just, you know, going through that process of having your first child is enough fear and anxiety mm. already exists, you know? So thank you for sharing yeah. that story with us, bro. And just, that was great. Yeah. my pleasure and and we're not the only i mean missionaries that have gone through it for sure i mean we know right. scott green was diagnosed with a tumor that he, yeah. he later died to right. when he was on the mission field in berlin wow. um the, i mean uh the mccargs the reason yeah. that the, the lamberts are there is because the mccargs were there before that yeah. um but they had a health situation right. come maria, up that yeah. they were unable maria with her back i mean it can happen and, and you know I don't know, like Satan's powerful too. And he throws a lot of stuff mm. our way. Uh, I think it, it's, it's hard. It's not easy being a missionary, being on the foreign mission field and health can be sacrificed in some ways. So I just have such immense respect for all of those that have come, that have served, all those that, that, that have even moved back for one reason or another. It, it's, uh, it's, it's humbling um, to be able to have this kind of opportunity to serve God, but, and we try to cherish it and try to take advantage of every opportunity because you never know how long it's going to last. Wow. Amen. 
This wow. was amazing. Thanks, John, yes. um, for everything you said, for all the, the wisdom that you imparted, but also like your experience and uh, the way you mentioned how God has transformed you over the years, yes. how God, mm -hmm. you know, brought your parents together and then brought you to him. And then through, you know, difficult times in campus ministry to being in you know, the school of missions and finally being able to go to Italy and being there for six years and seeing the church grow and now having dreams of planting a second church in Italy, right? Despite, you know, COVID being kind of wild right now. And obviously mm -hmm. the story about Rachel, I, I heard it before, not the first time, but amazing how God delivered her and delivered you and your family and how you have two beautiful kids. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. God has, has blessed yeah. you so much and blessed the church so much that it has servants like you and Rachel yeah. uh, in Italy. So Amen. thank you so much for your thank time you. and for talking to us. And uh, we hope to uh, talk to you again oh, sometime. We got to do a part two, bro. <laughs> I could just keep talking hey, for the next few hours. I, I, anytime, man. Anytime. Thanks, guys. Thanks for doing this. And I pray that it inspires. I'm sure it's your prayer. I pray that it inspires a, a whole generation of people to just to be mission minded, to be focused and to have great dreams for what God can do with their lives. If, if we accomplish that even for one person tonight, I think, I think it was well worth it. So thanks for this opportunity. Yeah. For expect sure. the phone call, John. From <laughs> I'm ready. Italian speaking yes. American, you know, yes. it's going to happen anyway. Awesome. Great talking to you, John. Right. Thanks. Love so you guys. Love you, thanks. Bro. thanks for listening to our pilot episode of mission mindset podcast. We would love your thoughts and feedback on this podcast. So please email us. The email is in the description below. We pray that this was inspiring, informational, and helpful to all those who might have tuned in today. Thank you so much for listening.